Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. Welcome to the program. I think we have a fairly interesting one tonight. Our first guests are Mike Huber and Art Henke. I'm a little jealous because they're in Phoenix, Arizona today, and I'm in the midst of a storm up here in the Northeast. But uh, Mike and Art, welcome to the program. Hi, good evening. Hello. Yes. Welcome to the program. Uh, and as I asked all my guests, we first ask a little bit about their personal backgrounds. And we'll start with you first, Mike. Okay. Um, I'm Mike Huber. I'm the VP of Client Services at Vertical Measures. We are an internet marketing agency. Um, my background has been in uh, media. I used to be in the newspaper business and um, actually got to uh, watch that morph into uh, internet marketing. Um, one of the things I like to say is I've been doing internet marketing since the turn of the century. <laughs> nice. That's a, so you think of, that makes you an older guy, huh? Um, it very well could. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Uh, Art, what about you? Yeah, I'm Art Enke. I'm director of SEO services here, and uh, my team focuses on um, technical site audits and uh, making recommendations for all things uh, uh, pertaining to organic search results. So uh, the left-hand side of Google, that's what we focus on. Uh, my background is in uh, generally in business, but I've been in this industry about nine years, uh, uh, toying around with my own websites, and I've had the chance to work for several companies uh, doing SEO for, for clients and uh, as an in-house SEO as well. Well, we have two people here, and uh, uh, small business, uh, our listeners, are always interested in figuring out how to do their online marketing uh, better. And I guess my first question uh, is, uh, I'm, I've titled this program, All Things Google. And uh, I guess Google is ubiquitous. But uh, when a small business person looks at Google, what should uh, they really be, be thinking about? Um, you know, actually, Google is, uh, gives you the lion's share of organic search. So um, they're kind of the, the big dog um, in terms of getting traffic to your site. So uh, one of the things that I think small business owners should focus on is to make sure that their website is in compliance with Google's terms of service. And, you know, one of the things that we've been focusing on most recently are the Google updates that are happening 
and uh, Google has actually been penalizing websites and taking them out of the rankings uh, because they're not following the terms of service. And that is especially evident uh, with links that are pointing to websites. Um, but it's actually more than that. Uh, Google exists um, to uh, offer up the best search results in terms of content when someone searches. So our advice to all of our clients is to have awesome content on their site. And one of their recent updates, the Panda update, um, actually penalizes sites that have duplicate content and that have thin content and content that isn't really relevant. So uh, really focusing on the things that Google wants you to do as a website, which is actually produce the best content possible. So when they deliver search results, they deliver quality content to the search. Well, you said um, not having links. What do you mean by that? Because that, that came up in a conversation uh, last week with someone, and I didn't know what, what was uh, what, what he what she was talking about. Could you just go into a little bit detail on that? Yeah, this is Art. I'll jump in on that topic. <clears throat> you know, having links or, or backlinks from other websites, external sites pointing to your site, it's still actually the number one most valuable thing you can do uh, to help improve rankings on your site. Um, so, so essentially, those are votes. Right, so other websites link to you. Google likes that, and that's how their whole algorithm was built uh, from the beginning. Well, in the beginning, they were talking about link farms and all of that, and the Google kind of got onto that. But uh, so you're saying the more links you have to other websites, the better off you are. Um, actually, that used to be true. It used to be that any old link would do. Um, and back in the day, actually, those link farms uh, provided value to rankings and, and helped, helped sites uh, come up higher in the search results. But um, the way that they've dialed it in and they've improved um, their algorithm is that any old link uh, won't do any longer, and it's the really good high-quality links that they're looking for to point to your site. So it used to be that you could actually manipulate the search engine results by adding hundreds if not thousands of links pointing to your site, now those are actually causing people penalties. So to Art's point about links still being really important, um, the only links that are really important now are the high quality links that point to your site. What do you mean by a high quality link? I'm a little unsure, I'm sorry. Sure, there's, there's several ways to classify a link as being uh, low quality or high quality. High quality typically it means a site has established uh, rankings and trust and authority in Google. There are several tools you can use to, to measure that. Um, PageRank, for example, um, domain authority. There are, there are ways to identify whether or not a site is high quality, um, but, but typically, ultimately, a site that is uh, high quality has actual users. Um, when you do a backlink analysis, a lot of clients that we see have links from all kinds of sites that, that are very low quality, uh, meaning they don't have traffic, nobody's really visiting those sites, they're not really valued or trusted by Google. Those are the sites you want to avoid. Okay, so what other um, suggestions do you make uh, to, uh, you said there's two, the left side and the right side, the natural search and the paid search. Uh, uh, what you're really talking about uh, the beginning is the, the natural search. Then you want to talk about the page search? Um, sure. Um, page search um, is actually a good way to drive traffic. 
um, and it's, it's traffic that you, um, you can actually turn on and off um, as needed. Um, some people actually drive that paid search and they do conversion analysis and they can determine their ROI. So um, it makes a really strong business case to do pay-per-click advertising. Um, in other cases, um, we have people that have such strong organic search results that they don't really need the pay-per-click side of it. Um, but they may use pay-per-click as an ancillary tool for them to drive traffic to certain pages um, so they can do A-B split tests on landing pages to determine which ones are going to convert better. So, you know, there's a number of reasons that you can use pay-per-click. One is to drive traffic and, um, and sales, and the other is to drive traffic uh, to do uh, testing and experiments, um, you know, with different landing pages, you know, different size buttons, different things that um, you want in terms of usability um, to, to make determinations on. Well, um, I guess I jumped a little bit, but um, uh, content is important for generating um, a, gen a, a general search or organic search. Am I right? Um, absolutely, and uh, one of the things that most businesses can do um, is to increase their content footprint. And by that, I mean that um, certain websites have X number of pages today, um, but the more pages that you have on the site, the bigger your content footprint is and the more opportunity that you have to rank in the search engines for different keyword phrases. So um, a lot of folks that we work with, they may have 80 to 100 pages and those pages are really kind of stale and old and they haven't really done any updates, they haven't added content on a frequent basis. Uh, one of the things that we recommend to all of our clients is content marketing. And content marketing isn't brand marketing. It isn't talking about your products and services. It's more about helping people make decisions and uh, answer questions. And with all the new smartphones that are out there, the search engines are getting longer search phrases. It's not two or three words any longer. It's a sentence or it's a long question. And if businesses will write content that dovetails into those long tail searches, and into those kinds of questions, uh, they can come up uh, really high in the search engine rankings. And one of the things that we found, those longer search terms are actually from people who are a little bit further down in the sales funnel. So those actual pages can convert better uh, than the product and or services pages uh, that we find generally on sites. Could you give us um, a sample of such a, a search and such a content answer, and I know it's coming out of the blue, but uh, uh, that's an interesting point you make. Before it used to be short words, short phrases, and now you're saying it's going to long for longer phrases. Well, think think about how things have changed. The penetration of smartphones in the market has uh, gone up dramatically. Um, people are using iPhones, and and they're asking questions on their phone um, for search. And uh, it's really changed uh, pretty dynamically, the, the search market. So um, I think Art has maybe an example of a, of a question that maybe someone might ask and the content that could support that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just echoing what Mike said for a second, we have uh, Google reports uh, now 40% increase in the use of mobile. And, and the long tail, what we call the long tail, the longer phrases are, are super relevant. 
uh, now. I mean, there's some there's a lot of great examples. Um, uh, you know, the founder of uh, Vertical Measures, he he often goes around and presents. And one of the examples he cites often with content is a uh, a pool company, for example, um, that that decided to start answering questions. Um, this particular site. Uh, started writing content that solved specific questions, and one of the specific examples is uh, he wrote a piece regarding uh, how much does it cost uh, for like a fiberglass pool, for example, and that, um, that 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 piece of content that he wrote on his site actually dro uh, drove a majority of revenue, upwards of two million dollars in revenue, right, uh, for this particular example, just by solving a client's answer looking at uh, what the client ultimately needs instead of trying to push a, a sales uh, agenda on every uh, on his content. So that's just one example. There's many others. You can, uh, you know, for small businesses, Google is just phenomenal for opportunity. You can go into the AdWords keyword tool right now, any small business owner, and you can see estimated traffic percentages, volume that uh, people are searching. You can then take that uh, and and write a piece of content on your website that matches the query. And that's where you can start with keyword research. So to, to Art's point about, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, you first. You're the guest. Um, well, I, what I wanted to do was just piggyback on what Art said. Um, the, the pool company, actually, the, the title of their article was, How Much Does a Fiberglass Pool Cost? And the reason they wrote that title is because people were actively searching that exact Title. And they couldn't necessarily answer that question specifically um, because you don't know what the backyard size is, you don't know how big the pool is, you don't know any of the obstacles to actually putting in the pool. But what happened is they engaged people based on that question that they typed in and based on that search result. So what happened is they pulled them into the site, they answered the question that people had, they helped them solve their problem and then they got direct sales from that. So really, in terms of a business sense, content marketing is all about answering questions and solving people's problems as opposed to selling, selling, selling. That's very interesting. That's one of the best explanations I've heard of content management uh, marketing in a long time. Um, let, let's continue. Uh, you've, got, you've drawn the... Uh, the, the visitor to your site. What should you? Do? What can you do to keep that visitor engaged and ultimately sell him or her? Well, um, I think that if you have engaging content, that certainly helps. And um, I, I give you a, a couple of statistics on some of the um, search searches that happen. So, for example, um, there's a there's a website out there called Carbana.com and they actually sell cars start to finish on the site. So um, you can arrange financing, you can have the car delivered to you. Um, it's really a turnkey operation on a website to buy a car. And a car is a pretty significant purchase, and Carvana actually did some studies um, you know, based on you know, how many searches were done, how much time do people spend doing research. They discovered that before someone buys a car, 94% of them do searches online, so they're trying to find out information. And on average, those people spend 15 hours um, doing research, research before they, they buy a car. So the, the point is that if you have content on your website 
that's broad and deep and answers questions that people have that really solidifies in their mind answers to questions so they can make a decision, that's really what you want to focus on. Fifteen hours total or fifteen hours on, uh, on, online? Uh, fifteen hours online searching for information. Wow. That, that's an interesting, interesting statistic. Is this substituting for three or four trips to the dealership? Um, actually, I think what that, that search um, information reveals is that people want to know about the make and the model. They want to know about um, the reliability of the particular vehicle. Um, I, I'm sure they're searching for um, you know, pricing information. They're searching for financing. They're doing all of the things that they need to do prior to coming in. And really what happens is it puts them so much further down the sales funnel and it actually helps the sales process to make that uh, smoother and better and faster. Uh, one of the things that we've noticed um, is that we get fewer and fewer phone calls and we get more and more online leads. And what's happening is, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, you know, the phone rang a lot more often. Five years ago, it didn't ring so much. We rarely get phone calls here as the initial contact for, for a potential client. But what we do get are emails from people who, A, they've researched our site, they know who we are, they know what we do, they've read testimonials about what it is that we do, they have a broad idea of SEO and the deliverables that they need simply because they've already looked at our site. So what we're trying to do, what we recommend to our clients to do is help people make decisions, give them as much information as you can on the front end, so when they actually do engage with you, they're already educated, they know what they want, and then it's just a matter of building that relationship and offering up uh, services as opposed to trying to sell someone. Well, let's get to the point of uh, building up relationships. How do you do it online? How do you, um, we seem to put so much between the, the personal interaction with the internet. How, how do we, um, you utilize the uh, website to build a personal relationship. Yeah, there's there's so many great opportunities for that. Uh, for you know, in context of small business and opportunities in Google, um, you know, having a website ha providing content that solves your users' questions and, and problems and 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 uh, delivers exactly the information that they need, it adds a tremendous amount of transparency. And you you're basically part of uh, you're basically accomplishing inbound marketing. We love the term inbound marketing versus uh, interruption marketing. You know, in, uh, traditional media, for example, in the past was, uh, you know, you see an ad pop up over your favorite show and it's, it's interrupting the natural flow. With inbound marketing, you have people that have a high intent to purchase or a high intent to convert because they're actively seeking out your content. And that's the importance of, of making all your content visible and you can build that relationship that you mentioned uh, simply by, by uh, being transparent and providing everything that uh, potentially people could use. And an immediate application of that, it, one thing your listeners can do right away is, is go to the Google AdWords keyword tool. It's free uh, if you have an account. And what you do is you just start searching for keyword terms related to your business. And you're going to see dozens and dozens of keywords that people are searching and the traffic volume estimations for that term. And you can start get a, getting a sense of, uh, of, of 
content and, and solutions that you could start providing on your site? Well, let me ask him. I'll go to a site sometime and they'll say the, uh, the ABC widget company is the world's greatest producer of widgets as the first line. Uh, I, I always, uh, are you laughing about it? Because there are many sites out there like that. My argument has been that the first word should be uh, solving the visitor's problem or asking the visitor what, um, uh, what their needs are. What do you do? What do you do? You use your first words. Um, uh, this is Mike. I actually think that you need both elements. And um, certainly you need to talk about your products and services because people want to know what that is. Um, but you also need to talk to them about, you know, how, how do their products and services solve their problems. It's almost like the features and the benefits uh, part of selling. Uh, mm -hmm. The features are certainly your product pages and your branded pages. Uh, the benefits are, you know, what will they do for um, a, p a potential client uh, and what problems do they solve. So I think that um, in terms of a layout on a website, I think both of that information needs to be um, apparent um, and people need to be able to find it easily um, because you, what you, I think what you have to do is realize that people that come to your site are in a different um, process in terms of their buying. So uh, some people may be on the, on the very front end doing research. Other people may be well down the sales funnel where they're just trying to find you know, some pricing and, and make a decision. So um, I think that all of that information is relevant and it needs to be easily accessible. Uh, there's been much talk about what color should be on your website. Does color really make a difference? There's, all, there's quite a few studies yeah. on that, but it, it absolutely can. It can, and you know the best way to to tell what the best color is is to do multivariate testing, um, test pages, change color buttons, change sizes, change locations. Um, you know if you have the ability to do that. Um, what you can do is keep testing until the conversion rate is totally maxed out on a particular landing page. So um, absolutely color uh, uh, plays a part of it. Um, good solid information plays a part. Um, actually um, having a site that is built with responsive design so it can actually fit on any screen size is part of it. So uh, there's so many elements that go into it, but certainly color is part. Oh, uh, I see a lot of uh, companies springing up which will help you uh, turn your current website into a website. Um, can you talk to about that? Should your site that look different on a mobile device than it does on a, a, a full screen? Um, you know, actually there's, there's a number of things to think about um, in terms of screen sizes. So, um, you know, it used to be that everybody was bound to their desk. Um, and they had, you know, the larger screen. Then it went to uh, tablets and, and certainly smartphones. So a lot of people think that if they have a website, um, they just need to have one resolution of it and one size fits all screens, but that's not necessarily true. So a lot of the new HTML5 and um, a lot of new web design is responsive design, and what that allows uh, your website to do is to actually size for any screen 
and it doesn't necessarily mean that if it looks really good on a desktop that it's going to be exactly the same on the smaller devices. Um, essentially what it does is it scales down so it looks good and it's readable um, on those smaller devices. Um, and I think that's really important to know because um, a lot of people do email marketing and that email marketing sends them to the um, client's website. And if the, if the website looks really small and is unreadable on a cell phone, they've just lost that potential client. So if it's responsive design, it looks good on a cell phone and people can actually interact with it on that smaller screen. Well, do you think that uh, there are a lot of uh, companies that, that did their websites two, three, four years ago, um, should they be thinking about redes um, redesigning it and bringing it up uh, this new HTML? Yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up. You know, there was a presentation just recently here. Uh, there's an there's a, uh, organization called Azima uh, that uh, there was a speaker from, uh, the, the founder actually of, of a company called Wider Funnel, and he had some excellent uh, stats on that. It, basically, that's, that's a rut uh, companies can get in. If you if you limit yourself to only a redesign every five years, it's, it's it, 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 you know, it's good that you're thinking about redesign, but but ultimately, um, as we've discussed earlier today, or earlier uh, this evening, with with regard to multivariate testing, the site should be continually updated and continually changing. You should con constantly be updating and, and testing multiple elements on a site, not waiting every five years to do a site redesign, but 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 testing certain pages, maybe just a, uh, a landing page of where you're trying to get people to fill out a form or or uh, to click through on a sale. Uh, ongoing testing and redesign is really critical. Well, let me. Uh, uh, there's been much talk about um, place of uh, place of marketing, where uh, uh, essentially people are in your neighborhood, hence you should be uh, reaching out to them. Could you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. Um, I think what you're speaking to is geotargeting a particular audience. Thank you. Um, and yeah, we, we actually have a lot of clients that have multiple locations. So um, if they're in Dallas or Denver or in Los Angeles, they want people who type in, um, say for example, you know, Los Angeles um, heating and air conditioning contractor. So what they're trying to do is make sure that their site comes up high in the search results so, so that searcher will contact them. But uh, to your point, there are a number of things that you can do. Um, Google Places is uh, one of the things that we focus, focus on to make sure that people have you know, claimed their Google Place. Um, there are certain things that you can do on your, uh, on your own website in terms of writing geo-focused content that will actually help you rank in the search engines. But um, you know, without actually looking at the industry, without looking at the particular locations and keywords, um, you know, it makes it difficult to speak specifically about what to do, but in general terms, you can write content for that location, and then you can claim listings. Um, you know, there's all kinds of local um, listing sites. There's Yelp. There's um, Art. Help me here. Uh, there's Google Places. Uh, there's a number of different things that you can sign up for. A lot of it's free. Well, there's much yeah. talk. Go ahead. You go ahead. Otherwise, 
Yeah, a great a great source for that is uh, there's a site called getlisted.org. And uh, if you go to that site, it's, it, it helps you uh, identify your existing profiles on, on like local, uh, local listings, and it helps you identify all the top uh, local profiles. Uh, unclaimed listings you can go in and fill out. There's super pages, yellow pages, um, uh, a whole bunch of them in there. What was the one you, you mentioned? It's getlisted.org. Oh. Um, it's actually okay. a great tool for, uh, for a business owner to just go there, um, and you can actually look at the profiles uh, because sometimes, you know, if you've been in Yellow Pages, they've scraped that information, and you might already have some information there. Um, but in a lot of cases, you can claim the listing for free, and you can append it, um, add information to it, like company hours. You can add photos. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do. Um, and that get, get listed uh, actually is a really good way to identify um, what's available out there. Well, uh, there's much talk also about video. In fact, our next guest is about video. Um, uh, is, is it smart to have a video on your website on the index page? Yes, it is smart in a couple of, uh, for a couple of reasons. You know, user engagement is is very high when you have rich, engaging content, and video is absolutely one of the best uh, means to do that. Um, often people refer to uh, YouTube, uh, YouTube as the second largest search engine. That's true. Next to Google, people go to YouTube. People like to see video content displayed. Um, but another benefit of, of video is um, some things that we like to do. Uh, something that we like to do and recommend to clients as well is you can take videos. Uh, place them on your site, and you can actually transcribe the text from the video and add that as part of the content of your site. Um, that, that provides like a very easy uh, uh, piece of content that you can add to your site to make it more rich and, and, and visible uh, for search engines. You, you fellows, are, are really, what's the uh, name of your company and how do people uh, reach your company and you? Um, our company is Vertical Measures. And you can reach us at verticalmeasures.com. How did you come up with that name? Um, I wish I could tell you, but I'm not the one who created it. Um, it was actually our founder, um, Arnie Ken. And uh, Arnie Ken uh, travels around the country as a book out. It's called Accelerate, um, and it actually um, tell you all of the things that we mentioned and more. Well, you, you fellows are doing a pretty good job of doing it. Yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on today and the uh, very illuminating uh, half hour. I certainly learned a lot, and I hope you'll come back again. Well, uh, thanks for having us on, and um, hopefully you won't get snowed in too badly. <laughs> it's the ice we're worried about now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. It stays, stays like this. This that I wish I was wasn't. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, I think it was 65 today, so. <laughs> Not oh, to rub it in. Rub it in, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, thanks. I, I hope our information was helpful. Well, again, the name of your company? Vertical Measures. Okay. Phoenix, Arizona. Thank you very much, fellows, and come again. All right. You're Thank welcome. you. Take care. Our next guest is Lindsay Stanton, head of My J.
JSPM, uh, a multimedia job hunting platform. Lindsay, are you with us? I am. Hello. Welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Well, first, Lindsay, we always ask our guests to say, tell us a little bit about themselves personally before we get into anything else, because we sure. would like to know. You're, you're, you founded and head this company, correct? Uh, well, no, I'm not actually the CEO. I'm the chief client officer. So I primarily work with our channel partners, but I also do the majority of our speaking engagements and um, events. Okay. But, but still tell us about yourself. Sure. <laughs> so a little personal information. Um, I'm an avid dog lover. I'm a runner, <laughs> a fitness fanatic. <laughs> I guess that's probably about the two key personal things. <laughs> Well, uh, running's fun. Where are you calling us from? Chicago. Snowy, snowy Chicago. Oh, so well, those fellows were rubbing it in from Phoenix. Uh, oh, nice. I was there oh. probably four weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> you wish you were back there now, huh? Right, yeah. They're complaining because it's 60 degrees and cold. <laughs> Here it's, uh, we hit uh, minus 40 a couple times with the wind chill, so... <laughs> Oh, I, I hate snow. But anyway, um, the name of your company, and you provide a multimedia job hunting platform. So tell us um, first, our audience is small business leaders. They run their company. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the first question I'm going to ask you is, how, how, what does your company do, and how can it help a small business? Absolutely. Great question. Um, so first of all, JSTN was created with the idea that um, there was a better, more compelling and engaging way to um, get across your critical job messaging in your culture. And um, we do that through a video format. So basically, you know, really talking to and allowing candidates to learn and understand who you are as an organization and um, any critical elements of your job messaging that are really important to get across. And I think for a small business, obviously, every hire is a critical hire. So definitely, you know, our services are very, very relevant regardless of the size of the organization. And um, the video can act as a, as a large differentiator. So for the small businesses out there that are listening, one thing that we really have noticed is with the search engine optimization that exists behind video, you can really not only differentiate to your audience, but it allows you to reach them so much better. So if you've ever noticed when you've gone on to do a Google search, usually YouTube comes up at the top of your search results no matter what you key in, right? Even if you just want to learn how to do something or, you know, any keywords around, you know, a video that you want to see or just even um, how-to instructions. And um, the reason for that is because the search engines actually rank video-based content higher than they do text. So it's a huge driver, and just by embedding video into their websites, small businesses can really compete on parity with much larger organizations. Well, but how do, how do they use your service? Do you come in and do the uh, video for them? or do they Good question. So um, 
we actually we can help create the the video. We have we do have a full scale production facility. So um, for any companies that don't are have video already, we can help them create it, storyboard it, um, turn their jobs into dynamic video messaging. And then for those who do have it, who maybe made the investment in the past, we can actually. Um, put that video onto our platform, and uh, what our platform provides is global accessibility off of multiple devices. So if a candidate's coming in off their cell phone, which you know is obviously a big driver for especially people that are already gainfully employed and, and uh, you know what you would call a passive candidate that you want to reach, um, that would be a really good opportunity to, to, to connect with them is off of mobile. And then um, we're able to track all the candidates' behavior. So <clears throat> we can basically track the referring website that the candidate's coming in from. So if they viewed that job off of the, our customer's career site, we can tell that. If they viewed it off of LinkedIn, a, you know, a posting on LinkedIn, for instance, we can, we can tell that. If it's off of a chat group in Facebook, we can actually track that as well. So what ends up happening with that tracking data is because we're able to tell where the candidates viewed the positions and where they actually applied for the jobs, it ends up driving a much better ROI for our clients because they can see that real-time data and response rates and then be more strategic about where they're spending their dollars to put their jobs out there because what we find is a lot of times, you know, it's the odd sites that you wouldn't expect. You know, it might be a Craigslist or it might be a blog somewhere um, that are driving the highest response rates. So a lot of times it ends up being an overall cost savings with the tracking piece. Oh, what should a small business, I decide I want to do a video, mm -hmm. what should a small business emphasize in a video about the company? Sure, well, you always want to communicate um, a couple key things about your culture, especially for a small business because obviously you have to, you know, try to compete on parity with a larger organization. Chances are you have a competitor in the space that's, you know, bigger than you and has more dollars than you to spend against marketing. But, um, you know, I think a couple critical um, sentences about who you are as an organization, what differentiates you. Um, like we have a customer right now who um, it's a, it's a trucking service, and um, they've got phenomenal um, on-site apartments for their drivers. Their pay rates are much higher than their competitors, and they're really telling that story in their video to act as a huge differentiator, you know, against their competition. So. I think anything that really makes you unique, um, anything you can spotlight. And, you know, people like flexibility nowadays. That's such an important part of, you know, the work environment. So a lot of times small businesses can spotlight things like that, you know, work from home hours or, you know, different, um, different elements to their company that really maybe a larger company can't offer. Well, um, many times I've seen company uh, videos which uh, feature the uh, – the president talking in a nice suit, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, uh, do you emphasize that or do you try to uh, bring in uh, the employees, other employees? Or, uh, we do, yeah. We try to, um, 
On uh, the employment branding side of things, we really try to get across, you know, who the organization is and, you know, tying in um, key leadership is really important, but, you know, not necessarily just the CEO. You know, it could be, um, you know, the most creative people on your team or if there are certain areas of your business where you're always hiring, you know, like sales, for instance, or customer service, having somebody, a manager in that department come on, especially if you have somebody that's really dynamic in the organization that can help sell your story because quite frankly nobody can sell your company like your employees there who who are enthusiastic about being there so um, and then they're the ones they'll share the videos too so we see that often with our customers because the video has a intuitive share function much like a YouTube so and then we can track where and when it's been shared also so your employees themselves can actually kind of start that viral push um, to get your word out there we've got clients literally showing up eight pages deep on a, a Google search when you type in, you know, sales position or um, IT roles. So, well, um, what is a what is the average cost? Of, uh, let's first start. If I if I wanted you to do my my company, um, and I say I, I, which is true, I don't have a video facilities. Mm-hmm. What are the costs? Really good question. I think most people think because it's video, it's going to be scary expensive, and that's definitely not the case. Um, our job-specific videos, which incorporate our professional on-air talent, which it, they're all network-based talent, um, most of them come from you know NBC, ABC. Um, they come on there. They're diverse. They communicate the message for you. They're obviously very good on camera and very proficient um, at you know pretty much any job description you can think of. And uh, trust me, with uh, Healthcare and some of our some of our technology clients, we've had some challenging job descriptions. But um, they uh, they'll come on and uh, dissertate your position opening for you, make it very dynamic and compelling for as little as three hundred and fifty dollars. So it's uh, there's not a large barrier to entry on the financial side. You can build a pretty significant video inventory of jobs that you have at your disposable disposal, and then um, you know you can activate or deactivate them. Our service basically allows them to have access to our cloud-based delivery um, on demand. So if they um, if they need to turn a job up or turn it down or change a location, all that's available to them real-time in addition to um, the tracking component. Wow. So uh, let's say I have a job opening for a sales manager. So you're saying it would be cost of $300, and then how much for it do you charge per uh, uh, view or is there an additional charge or how does that work? No, um, yeah, it's not a, like a pay-per-click model by any means because we want, obviously, we want the video to go viral. We're doing everything, you know, to make sure that it does on our client's behalf. Um, for the most part, uh, their results are exceeding what they typically would see off of a text-based board by six to ten times. But um, the pricing model um, is based on how many videos we're hosting and delivery, delivering. So, for instance, um, if you have if you have one job active on the platform, it's uh, $300 a month. If you're just running um, an additional location, that gets as low as $50 a month. So for a lot of our clients, you know, they might be hiring for, you know, a sales representative role throughout the year, but the market might switch. So, you know, we'll build one sales position for them. And then, like I said, they can turn it off or turn it on, um, you know, based on what their needs are. So you're never paying for hosting on a position that you don't need. 
So much like, you know, much like the job boards where, you know, you're not going to be paying, um, you know, if you're not if you're not actively recruiting for that position. And, and the, you know, the name of your website? It's mygstn.com. You better spell it out. This is radio. <laughs> sure. M-Y-J-S-T-N.com. No, um, when it came across my desk, I was fascinated by, by the idea. But so this is for uh, your services, essentially for a, um, for a business to uh, almost uh, talk directly to a potential candidate uh, through the internet. If uh, if I were to uh, summarize. Yeah, I mean it really it's really about um, engaging candidates where they're already going. So you know we know everybody's checking their mobile phone. We know everybody's checking their Facebook and Twitter pages. So, um, you know, if you really want to attract that top-level talent, you really have to hit them where they're going already. And so being able to not only reach the candidates, but then, you know, being able to track their responses. And what we find is um, the candidates, the quality of the candidates goes up quite a bit with video because they understand 60% more information about a position when it's communicated in video. That's just how much, you know, how much more you learn when you are, you know, basically read something via video versus um, trying to read it yourself. Well, I've seen an awful lot of job specs, and uh, they oftentimes, uh, they're turgid, I guess is the best word I could use. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and they can be, you know, pretty repetitive, pretty boring. So, you know, adding um, adding some excitement and having somebody tell you about that position that's really excited to tell you about the organization, um, I think, really does make a big difference. Uh, do you suggest sometimes that the hiring manager he or she be uh, on on the video? Yeah, what we see we see that being very effective when. Um, an organization really wants to delve into their culture, which I think is probably extremely relevant for your audience because, you know, they're trying to differentiate. We had a, um, a company that we're working with that's relatively unknown, actually based in Chicago, and uh, they were able to increase their career site traffic by 500 times by having um, some of their leadership come on camera and doing a three-minute piece about, you know, who they are. Um, we pulled some great screenshots and graphics from, um, you know, from their employees actually on the job working and um, incorporated that into the overall video and messaging about, you know, the company with the leadership. So there are a lot of things that you can do, you know, that aren't very expensive. I mean, a cultural video typically runs around $2,000 for us to create compared to, you know, most videos, you know, you could could run you anywhere from 10000 to 150000 But um, so, you know, being able to create a compelling three-minute story for $2,000, I think, is, is a big win, especially for a small company, because they can embed that into their career site, and then they're going to get much more traffic, um, you know, and be able to raise ahead of their competitors from an SEO perspective. Well, I really thank you for coming on tonight. Uh, I've certainly. No, I appreciate the time. Well, no, uh, this program is for uh, trying to identify ways for small business leaders to do their their job better and. Uh, finding good talent is one of the toughest jobs there is. Absolutely. Well, really thank you for coming on board. No problem. Nice meeting you. Pleasure. And come again. Absolutely. Our next guest, I 
uh, interview that I found fascinating, and I hope you will as well. Welcome to Media Mash, where we examine all things media, whether it's publishing, television, radio, books, anything that involves media, which we now know includes a lot of Internet work, etc. We have some interesting guests coming on. Our next guest is Nick Exposito. Uh, I came across him in a very unusual way, and I'll let him explain what he does, because I think he's pioneered a new marketing channel for publishers. Nick, welcome to the program. Thanks, Don. I'm really happy to be here. Well, uh, Nick, we always start off our program by asking a little bit about the personal side of you, uh, who you are, how did you come, you know, a little bit of background on yourself. Sure, sure. So, um, yeah, kind of my path is uh, meandered and went up and down and down and up all over. Um, so uh, so I started off, that's where I got out of college. Uh, I went to school to be an, uh, an English major. Um, and as I always like to say, you know, English majors are good at doing a lot of things except getting jobs in their field. So um, I went out and uh, tried to, you know, after I got out of college, I knew I wanted to be a writer. I went to school um, for, you know, being trained to be a writer and just loving literature and really just kind of changed my life in so many great ways. Um, but when I got out of college, I knew that I wanted to kind of do something a little bit more um, then just get out and go into an MFA program or go try to get a job writing for some a magazine or newspaper. I wanted to uh, you know, explore a little bit. I also had this kind of desire to give back. And, you know, I was one of those people that are pretty affected by the social problems I saw around me. So that led me into um, the AmeriCorps right after college, and I uh, did a year's worth of service with them through a program called the NCCC which was uh, modeled after the old Conservation Corps of the WPA days and um, just traveled around the country doing a lot of disaster relief, uh, meeting unmet needs, helping out communities. Um, and one of the big communities I found myself in was um, the Louisiana, New Orleans, and Lafayette uh, cities and um, working there after the two storms that really devastated those areas. And um, a couple good things happened down there. Um, one was I really got into volunteering and seeing how um, important it was in our community, and the other was I got into farming, which is kind of a weird thing to do when you go down there, but, you know, the people of Louisiana, Cajun or Creole, were very land-based people, and I um, picked up on that and really found such a satisfying um, way of life uh, working on the land. So I really got into farming, and I was traveling around, kind of living the dream, and uh, really kind of... I was still writing, but just kind of finding these new things that really kind of satisfied me and piqued my curiosity. Um, but I ended up having to come back to Philadelphia, where I'm originally from the area. My grandfather was pretty sick. It was the end of his life, and he, um, I came back to be with him. And uh, I was a little depressed, you know, because I was enjoying the road and enjoying being out on the land. I thought I was going to go live in Northern California, but I came back to Philadelphia and just kind of fell into such a very important time in the city. You know, the city's really remaking itself, both artistically, socially, economically, and um, a lot of, I would say, naturally. You know, we have a lot of uh, urban farms here, and I fell into that uh, that way of life here and um, ended up staying in the city and becoming an urban farmer and working for different organizations. Um, at the same time, really revisiting my writing, never losing that bug, and um, 
I decided that I wanted to write a novel, and I wrote a novel about urban farming in where I was living, West Philadelphia, um, called Seeds of Descent, and kind of, I hate to even use the word self-published, because it was really just, I produced the book with some friends who were designers and editors, and got a bunch of tips from marketing, and just really put a book out, and uh, I liked that so much that uh, I decided to start a publishing company. That, that's really interesting. And that, now that brings us to why you're on this program. You, now you produce, what's the name of your publishing company? Our uh, publishing company is called The Head and the Hand Press. Oh, how did you come up with that name? I'm curious. So, you know, I was, when I knew I wanted to start, I was, you know, it's, that, it's like naming a band or naming even, you know, it's a child or something. You're, you, this is a name that's going to stick with you for so long, and what are you going to pick? And I was kind of overthinking it, I thought. And um, what I did was I was, you know, I was, I was thinking of different names. I didn't like anything, so I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go back, and I'm going to revisit the books that I'm kind of reading at the time that have really inspired me to want to start this company. And I was reading this great book by a, a man named Richard Sennett. Um, he's a philosopher, um, writer who writes a lot about um, craftsmanship and about kind of bringing back these smaller artisan industries in a viable way to, you know, create jobs in our society, but also to kind of bring people back to the essence of create, like creating something. And uh, so looking through the book, these two concepts really kept sticking out. And it was this concept of the connection between the head and the hand. And the way he just wrote about it was so poetic and so beautiful and just how important it is to just you know, have such an intellectual understanding of the work that you're doing, but then also, you know, making that intellectualism tangible by the physical work. So the connection of the head and the hand, it just, you know, and I like the way it sounded, and I decided to use that. It's, it's, a, great, it's a great name for a published company. But now, Thank you. Um, I assume you do, uh, you do traditional books uh, through the traditional channels. Am I correct? Or? Yeah, yeah, we do. I mean, you know, we'll, and if I'm, as you said before, you want to talk about some of the innovative stuff we do, but we definitely have structured our company using you know, the best practices we've seen from, you know, independent publishers and even the, the larger, more corporate publishing industry where we're putting books out, you know, as advanced review copies three months in advance so we can get them out to places like Publishers Weekly and Library Journal and outlets of that nature. Um, we... Uh, we have a distribution company, um, sell on Amazon. You know, we kind of do a lot of the things that aren't necessary to run a viable publishing company. Mm -hmm. but, but now, the, the reason, uh, uh, one of the reasons you're on this program, you, you're trying something new in Philadelphia. A vend mm -hmm. You're putting your books in vending machines. <laughs> yeah. Tell us all about that. I find that uh, extremely fascinating. Having worked uh, years ago, with a company that put uh, uh, model airplane parts in a vending machine, uh, 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 I just found it fascinating. So tell us about that, how that came about, and how it works. Well, well first I'd like to say I love that idea of model airplane parts in vending machines. I think that's awesome. Um, and kind of you know, playing off of that is, you know, we're in an industry where, you know, part of our job isn't just putting out really great books and putting out, you know, and progressive writing. It's really about getting people excited about wanting to read books. And we thought this was a really cool way to do that, um, something interesting and a different way to kind of 
um, distribute books especially. Um, so the way it kind of started was kind of by happenstance. I was at my uncle's wedding um, over the summer, and I ran into my cousin, who's kind of my uncle's cousin, and uh, he's a little bit older, and he's been running his dad's vending machine business that was started back in the 60s right here in Philadelphia um, called Navar Vending. And um, he, you know, he's going off, and it's funny because he's talking about the vending industry, how much that's changed. And, you know, he's in one respect saying, you know, it's great that people aren't smoking in bars anymore. It's great that kids aren't eating, you know, sugary foods after, like, during school and, you know, with obesity rates and all that. But at the same time, that's the profession he's in. And his profession has changed so much. He's trying to just keep up with the industry. So he's talking about this. He's asking me, well, how's business for you? And I'm like, you know, some, somewhat similar, you know, the, the industry has changed so much and we're trying to see how we fit in it. And um, out of just nowhere, I just blurted out, I'm like, yeah, we should sell books in vending machines. Maybe that's solved both our problems. And he just lit up and he's like, that's a great idea. I didn't think he was going to bite on it, you know, but he thought it was a great idea to, uh, to sell books in vending machines. So I went back to my staff and I said, hey, this is the idea we want to do. And um, we found a, a willing participant in a, a coffee shop in Philadelphia called Elixir Coffee. Um, they uh, said that they would put the machine in. I went back to my cousin. He got us. He gave us the dimensions and the specs. We um, put a call out for submissions and got eight really, really fantastic stories. Um, we produced them into little four by six chapbooks, and uh, we stocked the vending machine. And uh, it's great to see people coming in and out of the coffee shop, putting in. You know, they get a cup of coffee, have a little bit of change. They have two dollars. They put it in our machine, and they have something to read while they're, uh, you know, killing some time or waiting for a friend or enjoying the day. But now, these are not full-length books. What's that? They're not full-length books. No, no, and uh, some of them are actually excerpts to novels that are in progress or novels that are coming out. Um, Some of them are just straight short stories. So they usually clock in at about 30 pages in a 4 by 6 so about, you know, 3,000 to 5,000 words. Um, yeah, so, but I think that within each story, it really caps, captures the essence of, you know, what the author's trying to put forth, this story that they're telling. Well, um, how much do you charge for this, if I may ask? Yeah, we charge their $2 in the vending machine. Ah, and, and the author gets uh, the 10% normal royalty? No, we, we've run it as a, um, just because they're either like an excerpt of a novel or they're a, um, uh, a short story, we're usually running it like we would take like a kind of a one-off, we purchase the rights to use the story for just a flat fee from our authors. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, a lot of these people who we're working with are um, coming out of, we might talk about this in a little bit, our workshop, our physical workspace where we work in Philadelphia. Um, so we have that connection with them. We're putting out a lot more of their work, so they're really happy to kind of find this relationship for us to get their work out in this great way and, you know, they get a little bit of money for it. So, uh, um, do you just have one location, or have you expanded since it started? We have one right now, and we're thinking about moving to another location. You know, my cousin told me, he's like, I'll give you this machine for free, you know, we let you use it, and then if we want to talk about expanding, we'll think about that. So. The next location that we're moving to is another um, lunch bistro in uh, Philadelphia. Um, the owner there is really excited about possibly uh, finding other locations because he has a few locations. We've also thought about 
other venues for it. You know, um, the Philadelphia school system is in a pretty tough situation, so I don't know if they're thinking about putting book vending machines in their uh, facilities, but um, we thought about schools, we thought about um, other places where people are waiting for things like trains, bus stations, things like that. So we're just seeing, you know, just kind of taking it slow and seeing where it goes. It, 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 I, I just like the idea that you thought, uh, it's an old expression now, but you thought outside the box and came up with something so clever. Well, thank you. Congratulations. Because writers today, uh, as you know, given the situation, we have a, almost a glut of writers out there today, and they have very few outlets for their, their works. And giving them a chance, like an excerpt or something like that, just makes so much sense. You'd have been congratulated. Great. Yeah, I agree completely. Thank you. No. So if people wanted to uh, uh, provide a submission to you, how do they do it? So they would go on our, our homepage of our um, website, uh, www.theheadandthehand.com. Um, we have a whole bar that's uh, like part of our the homepage that is dedicated to our different submissions that we're taking at the time. And um, the submission is called Bigger Than a Bread Box. It could also be found on Duotrope, which I know a lot of writers use. Um, so Bigger Than a Bread Box, that's the, the name of the, uh, the short story contest that we have, or the uh, series. Um, they can do that. Um, and I guess another thing, too, to talk about people you know, getting these chat books is we don't just sell them out of vending machines. We also do sell them from our website, so people can go on the website and get copies of the, um, of the, uh, the chat books as well. Well, I might do a submission myself. Uh, uh, I would love to read it. Uh, uh, I'm currently working on a book. Uh, uh, Frankie, if you get hurt, I'll kill you. Memories of an Italian childhood. Italian <laughs> uh, but I can relate to that. <laughs> I, I'm sure you can. Uh, uh, but anyway, uh, we want to invite you back to the show in a, a few months to see how things are going. And we keep us informed because, I, I, particularly if you move to North Jersey or any place there, we'd, we'd love to talk about it more. Oh, that's excellent. We'll definitely do that. Thank you, Don. Thank you. Have a great day. You do the same. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you'd like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net.
That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.